And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. Revelation 8, verse 7. Our series is Revelation Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. Uh, and I'm actually not going to read the 13th verse, saving it for next week. But this is the Word of God. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the earth, uh, uh, on a third of the rivers, rather, on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the bit water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so the third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we have your word. It's certain and it's true. So, Father, this is a word that sometimes we have a hard time seeing what you're saying to us. So we need your Spirit's help. Uh, make it clear. Apply it to the way we, uh, we, we live our lives. We pray, Lord, the way we think about this world, uh, the way we trust in you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation begins this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Um, and then... John begins to see these uh, uh, dramatic, startling pictures. And so we want to keep in mind what our understanding of the book is. The pictures that we have are very often pictures of the same event. They're simply taken from, with different cameras and from different angles, if you will. So we've made the point Revelation is not a linear book and that the events in each chapter follow the preceding chapter in sequential chronological order fulfillment. Rather, it's cyclical. It's a retelling of God's judgment from a variety of perspectives. And each cycle that we come to provides greater detail of the last days and particularly the growing intensity of the suffering that's coming. Case in point, when the sixth seal is opened in Revelation 6, the picture is that of the second coming of Christ. It's pretty early in the book for that to take place. And then we have the trumpets that we begin with today. And we get to chapter 11, verse 15. And that great verse is also the return of Christ. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. And clearly, uh, the triumphal entry, uh, end of the seven trumpet series, refers to the second coming. But it's only halfway through the book. So seven times we're going to see descriptions of the second coming before the book's over. There are how many cycles in it? Seven. Good. All right. So with the seven seals now open, we move to the seven trumpets. After the seven trumpets, we're going to move to the seven bowls. 
Each will picture increased devastation that's coming as Christ's coming looms closer. Derek Thomas reminds us that the opening of the seals really brings great consolation directly to the people of God. The sound of the trumpets really is addressed to the people of the world. The woes that are going to come upon them who are not the people of God. Again, the seals are the perspective of, of God's people. The woes you might think of as the perspective of the people of the world. So what are these seven woes the trumpets announce? Let's, let's go to the text and see. Verse 6, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. I do think the key to understanding the imagery here, uh, as others suggest, is, is that we need to take it a whole. I wish we had time today to look at all seven trumpets, all right? Um, but again, I said 11, chapter 11, okay? Because um, uh, the, the punch of it all uh, is what we need to see. What's happening here is that the trees and the grass, the sea, the sea creatures, rivers and springs, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, creation's coming apart. It's, it's being destroyed uh, by the effect of sin and by God's judgment on that sin. It's quite the opposite of what we just sang this morning in, in All Creatures of Our God and King, which we sang about the water and the fire uh, and, and all creation praising Him, summons to worship Him. And as in many cases in the Old Testament, the trumpets announce the presence of the Lord. And in this case, it is His presence in judgment. God has come to vindicate His name, to demonstrate His glory by judging sin and rebellion, to bring justice to those that have persecuted His people. So remember, trumpets in the Old Testament are used a variety of ways for communication. They announce God's arrival on Mount Sinai. Uh, in numbers, they make silver trumpets to, uh, to assemble God's people. That's to assemble them for, for worship or for celebrations, when to pack up their camp and tent so they could move, when to go to war, and more. Last week, we mentioned uh, the Jericho trumpets that we read about earlier this morning. There's a light army marches around the city wall once a day for six days with their trumpets blaring. The seventh day, seven times, the last lap, the seven priests sounded the seven trumpets leading the Ark of the Covenant. And on that cue, the people shouted, and what happened? The walls came tumbling down. All right. So the trumpets proclaim God's judgment, and they call the people of God to take action. Now, two more, I think, critical Old Testament backdrops we have to see here. The first is to the prophet Joel. We saw him the call to worship this morning, his call to, to blow the trumpet, to make an announcement of God's devastating judgment. Yes, in Joel, judgment is poured out. But the real goal as you work through that little book is to call the people of God to repentance. Uh, and and uh, that's what the theme of the book becomes. And by the way, tucked away in that book, and I want you to keep in mind, is that Joel talks about locusts. We'll talk about locusts next week. I know that's exciting to think about, uh, but just anticipate that. Uh, and we mentioned Gideon last week. Again, the trumpet call was an announcement of God's judgment on the Midianites, as in Jericho. Uh, but also it was a call for God's holy army to march out. So here in Revelation, the trumpets proclaim God's judgment. They call people to repentance. 
And they summoned the church to holy spiritual warfare. Now, the second thing we need to see is the backdrop of the plagues in Egypt. Now, the main goal of those plagues is, is not actually repentance, though we have some Egyptians, a few of them, coming to repentance and faith in the true God. But really, the goal was to, to harden Pharaoh's heart. It was to humiliate the gods of Egypt, to show that there are no gods at all. And so this theme of hardened of hearts is going to become clear as we look at this next week. So we're going to look now at each of the first four trumpets. Uh, by the way, the seventh trumpet is not going to be blown probably uh, until chapter 11, which we said, and probably not till September 11th. So it'll take a while to get to that seventh trumpet. Now you know why I'm not going to cover the whole thing today. All right. So the first trumpet. Verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So hail, fire, blood. Again, the, the plagues on Egypt come to mind. The first plague, of course, is when God turns the Nile River into blood. Uh, but more so for us here, the seventh plague. Over in Exodus 9, that's the devastating hailstorm with the lightning that caused fires across Egypt's fields. And so this is God who sounds the trumpet and sends out the judgment. We're told that one-third of the earth is burnt up, one-third of the trees, and all the grass. God's trumpet's judgment display His wrath, but it's also His mercy. Because he could legitimately destroy the whole earth at any moment because of our sin. But he restrains himself. Now the result of that seventh plague in Egypt was a, was a short-term famine. And you may recall that the judgment there was really limited uh, in a couple ways, two ways. First of all, it, the flax and barley crop were just ripe, just ready to be harvested so they could have it for food. And that's when the, the, the hailstorm came with the lightning, and it was all burned up. We're also told in, in Exodus that uh, the wheat and the emer and another grain were not destroyed because they were so young and had not grown yet. We also know the region of Goshen, where God's people Israel lived, it was not struck as well. All their fields were just fine. And so God in His patience restricts the destruction uh, to a fraction of the earth and its trees. And so we look and we see these things happening across the centuries. He's been doing this since Christ's ascension. Think specifically, perhaps, of the war in Ukraine on the world's food supply. Some people, particularly those in Africa, are really going to suffer a food shortage because they were very dependent on grain from Ukraine for the Egyptians actually to, to import, and then they would spread it around the rest of uh, uh, North Africa, East Africa. Uh, and so they're really going to suffer. We, it's, it's affecting our food as well, but to a limited extent, perhaps prices are part of it. Um, uh, but so clearly, again, a limited part of the earth is impacted, but not the whole earth just like we find here in Revelation. And we're to understand God's in control. And this is a judgment on the land, literally the earth. 
And we, we stay within, it always stays within the strict bounds set out by the sovereign God. And so we come to the second trumpet. And the angel blew the trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. All right, it says it's like a burning mountain. So the query, that's, that's symbolic. All right, it's not a burning mountain. Uh, and it may represent something like a, a kingdom like Babylon. Go to Jeremiah 51, Babylon's called a mountain. That imagery carries over into Revelation 18. And here God is claiming that, that all maritime disasters are in God's hands. Whether it's the destruction of, of food, as a fish as a food source, or it's the destruction of ships in war or in peacetime. You can remember that the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea at the Exodus. You've got the Titanic, right? God himself cannot sink this ship. I'd never advise you to say that when you build a ship. Just a suggestion to you. Don't challenge God. Uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, right? Uh, and uh, all complete with tragic deaths. Boss, I had a travel agency that I worked at in Massachusetts. Uh, while I was there, lost her son when a fishing boat went down off the coast of uh, up there. And the point is this. Where trumpet one's judgment is on the land, trumpet two's judgment is on the sea. All right? Now the third trumpet. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Right, this one, you know, people talk about a little bit more trying to determine it. Let's, let's consider what it says. A star falls to the earth. Obviously, that's, that's got to be a metaphor. All right, if that, that true star, the size of things fell on the earth, the earth would be no more. All right. Um, the star's name is Wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter plant that we read about in the Old Testament. Sometimes we sing about the wormwood and the gall, right, with crowning with me crowns. Um, and uh, uh, C.S. Lewis borrowed it for a name there in the screw tape letters. Some take this to be a meteor. Uh, others will uh, point out to you, they'll tell you that uh, Chernobyl is the Ukrainian word for, for uh, uh, wormwood. And maybe that's what John's seeing. Now, the trouble with that would be is Chernobyl was truly a human disaster, but it hardly impacted a third of the earth. Um, and so when you, when you try to guess specifically like that, you're going to get in trouble. All right? Uh, it's not going to work. Now, we also know that in Isaiah 14, a great star falls to the earth. And metaphorically, it's, it's Satan's being cast out of heaven when he was thrown out because of his rebellion. And so some think, and probably correctly, that's what John's referring to. And the point is that Satan makes life bitter. Sin has a bitter effect on all of us and, and, and on some more than others. And it's as common as the, the drinking water that's out there. 
Then we have the fourth trumpet. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So what's this? A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of all the sources of, of heavenly light, uh, somehow the darkness marking part of that out. It brings darkness again. What do you think of the plague in Egypt, which was total darkness in Exodus 10, except it was not dark in the land of Goshen. All right? And we've already seen darkness back in the sixth seal as well. So it's hard to say, how does God do this? Well, we do not know, all right? But it tells us he does. And anything that changes the sun and the moon and the stars impacts earth. Uh, Think about all this when we respond to to God's word in song in a few minutes and declare how the sun, moon, and stars and their courses above are are blessings from God that shows faithfulness. Think how how we sang about it already this morning. So Greg Bill writes that what we have in common here with all four trumpets is that they affect the created order. They strike just the basic content of creation. It's it's systematically undone. Light, air, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, sea creatures, and humans. Sin has an ongoing devastating effect on our world. The earth is clearly reeling under the judgments of God. You remember we learned that in the opening of the fourth seal, that God had destroyed a fourth of humanity with the realities of the first three seals. And now here we move up. We've gone from a fourth to what's this? A third. And he says a third 14 times to get that point across. All right? A third of the sea, a third of the springs, a third of the sun. What's that telling us? Again, God's judgments are limited. Uh, but they're still beginning of God's wrath, and they're growing. What we need to remember is what we did learn in chapter 7. While the unsealed believers are judged, all right, the believers have been sealed for protection from the harm that impacts the earth, the sea, the trees, as chapter 7 puts it. The destruction these trumpets announce is the world's destruction. Whether it's through warfare, or through evil humans, or natural disasters. It's all ultimately, what one writer sums up as neatly the outworking of God's sovereign purpose. And so to know that, as we see it going on, as we hear it going on, that gives us strength. We know it's not out of control what's happening. The wildfires, those aren't out of God's control. Famine's not out of God's control. Wars are out of God's control. God strengthens his people. And he also here warns his enemies. So we watch the world around us. We're not to be dismayed. We're not to be frightened. We're to see that it is the hand of God. So what about us? 
me just say first, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, we're glad you're here. But I'm going to tell you, you need to respond to what it is we're talking about. I mean, these judgments of God are real. And the reality is we do not have to undergo these judgments uh, because we can receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Hibs robes for ours, as the choir sang. It's the wondrous mystery we sang about. A mystery made known of what Christ has done for us at the cross and love and rebellious sinners. Uh, He's received God's wrath for us. He takes our judgment upon Himself. He gives us eternal life. What I urge you is is receive that gift. Do not be like those in chapter 6 who instead of repenting of their sins and turning to faith in Jesus Christ, they harden their hearts. And they ask for the rocks to fall on them and to kill them rather than come face to face with the wrath of the Lamb. Next week we're going to see the same as we get to the end of chapter 9. You know, in teaching about this, a writer named Jason, he didn't give his last name, brought up George Weiss's song, It's a Wonderful World. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. See skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed days, the dark sacred nights. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Uh, and, and, and why should we quote that song? Because it's really a song that makes us stop and appreciate the many things, big and little, uh, that make God's world such a blessing to us. And the point is, here in Revelation... We see that being undone. It's not a wonderful world anymore. The beautiful green grass, it's all burned up. The first four trumpets are making the world a more inhospitable and barren place. And the big thing this writer refers to is how the song reminds us really how far our sin has taken us away from God. I mean, the Garden of Eden was a paradise. It was designed both to reflect God's glory and bring delight to God's people. Revelation shows us how sin has runs its course through time and the impact on the very world uh, He gave us is, is, is being taken away. Paradise is becoming a wasteland as God's judgment against people's willful, determined, and repeated rebellion. If you want to know what's behind today's headlines and today's hate, this is it. So the warning for us as the people of God is we need to take the devastating power of sin seriously. We want to run from it. We don't want that sin to destroy us. Because Satan makes really big promises. He told Adam and Eve, you know, you eat this, you're going to be like God. Uh, But sin and rebellion led them far from the promise in us too. Satan told Adam and Eve they could have whatever they wanted to, to have. They could be whatever they wanted to be. Their desires could become their delights. They create a wonderful world as king and queen. And people still buy that line today. But friends, it's an illusion. We cannot have a wonderful world outside of God's will. Sin and rebellion lead us far away from God and take us into Satan's clutches. Sin that's full of pursuit always ends up with divine judgment. And young people, I know that the world's telling you that I'm wrong and Satan's right. The Lord's telling you that boys can live as girls and girls can live as boys. They're telling you marriage is not a pathway to, to happiness. They're telling you that preborn children are not children. 
They'll tell you there's no such thing as truth. They'll tell you, uh, they, you and us to eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I never thought I'd quote Prince. Yes, that Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, and this quote is specifically a caution he gave about the Internet. But I think further, further application is obvious. So here goes, quoting Prince, maybe my only time ever in a sermon. All right. He said, there's a war going on. The battlefield's in the mind, and the prize is the soul. So just be careful. Be careful indeed. To quote from a hit song that wasn't by Prince, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Uh, a great reminder about how to resist sin in our own lives. And as we hear the trumpets blaring, it is calling us to battle. It's not an armed fight with swords and guns. Ephesians tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So these four trumpets show us the spiritual battle rages. And Jesus calls us to follow him. To walk faithfully by his word. To be holy as he is holy. To bombard heaven with prayers with reverse thunder in mind. To make known the gospel in a world where people are dying without the gospel. It's call for sacrifice. A sacrifice of our resources, of our time. And it's a willingness to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. That's got to be our mindset. So we've got to hear these trumpets and the judgment that they bring about so that we'll take the gospel seriously. Friends, we cannot be lazy or uninvolved when it comes to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So we sang when we gathered this morning, I will sing praises to thee among the nations. In a world of increasingly sin-hardened hearts, the trumpets are sounding. They demand our response to lovingly obey the Great Commission. Our desire is that all things their Creator bless and worship and humble us. That people come and behold the wondrous mystery. Uh, soon, and we don't know how soon, but soon, that seventh trumpet will sound. The final judgment will take place as God and the Lamb triumph. And God's grip on history and our until that day, and our anticipation of this new heaven and new earth, friends, that's what gives us strength for today. That's what gives us hope for tomorrow. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you give us your word to show us your heart. Show us your will. Father, these are tough words. Father, the judgment that's coming. So, Father, may it cause us to take sin seriously. If there's somebody who's not a believer, or may they see how clearly the penalty of their sin is, is applied. Father, turn from that sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. Cause us to flee from sin in our daily practice, Father. Our daily walks with you cause us to follow closely after Jesus Christ. Father, cause us not to, to worry or panic or be discouraged with the headlines. 
with the events in the world around us. But Father, be reminded that you're on the throne. And yes, you do judge sin. You judge wickedness. Father, you've sealed us. You've preserved us. And we are yours forever. And one day, Father, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And we'll be with you. So Father, give us that hope, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.